to these verses from Ezekiel 34 uh, speak to just the compassion and the heart of Jesus. Ezekiel 34, verses 15 and 16 say, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. I want to thank our praise team and those who lead us each week in worship. I want to say to you, if you're here in person, welcome to those who are online as well, but if you're here in person and this is your first time, if you didn't get a bulletin, they're on the welcome table as you enter, and if you did get a bulletin, uh, there is a flap there if you would uh, open that up and fill it out and then put it in the offering box. Uh, we'd appreciate that, that way we'd have a uh, knowledge of your attendance. We'd be grateful for your presence with us, and that way we can know a little bit more about you personally. So I just would like you to um, also say to the mothers, we uh, want to celebrate you and honor you and appreciate you very, very much. Uh, I was thinking in the first meeting we were talking, in the first service we were talking about mothers and how much uh, the, the Lord took care of his mother and uh, at the cross said to John, behold your mother, and to, or to, to Mary, uh, he, said, he said to John, behold your mother, because you're going to take care of her, you know, you're going to take care of her from now on. And uh, woman, behold your son. Now he's your, your, your uh, caretaker. But I also thought, you know, it's Jesus had a mother who sacrificed tremendously for him, as every mother does. And only a mother can know what a mother sacrifices. But nobody sacrificed more for their mother than Jesus. He died to save her. She lived to give him birth, but he died to save her. Let's pray. Father, on this Mother's Day, we, we appreciate the moms. And Lord, my heart goes out, though, because I know that there are some who have longed to be moms and can't. Uh, some who have the pain of uh, rearing children as single moms. And those who are challenged with different struggles with moms who weren't all that great and so it's a sore spot and a hard spot many of us have moms that we do celebrate and appreciate but there are a whole range of us here and listening and around the world and I pray that you touch each of our hearts that we'd come to see in Christ our sufficiency regardless of the humans that fail us and in spite of our frailty I pray that you'd open your word to us that you'd help us to see it for what it really is. It's the Word of God. And that it would transform us. That we would come into the presence of our holy God. And we would worship you in spirit and in truth. That you would use these words not just to inform our minds. But to change and transform our hearts for your glory. And the gain of your kingdom. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Everybody has preferences. Okay. 
So we all have preferences. Some are Iowa State fans. Some are UNI fans. Some are Iowa fans. Some people like to golf. And uh, some people would rather go boating. Some people would like a vacation at the beach. And some people would like to go hike in the mountains. You know, So we all have our preferences. But preferences become, if their preference is long enough, predisposition. That's my predisposition, is my, my go-to, my default, if you will. And predispositions, if they're cemented in pride, become prejudices. Okay? And prejudices, and uh, with the result in preferential treatment. That's my prejudice, then I, I treat people differently. Pride and prejudice are, are the foundation for any teaching or any practice that would lead us into a, a situation where we would begin to discredit, we would begin to dismiss, or we begin to discount any whole group of people because of our prejudice. Okay? We see this happening in our culture before us right now. The, the most prevalent theology, or I shouldn't say theology, ideology, is uh, that of critical race theory based in Marxism, which has preferential prejudicial treatment. But this idea of prejudice is not new. Because even in the New Testament, as we're going to learn today, that there was a, a prejudice against certain groups of people that would predispose certain individuals not to care about those individuals, and Jesus broke the mold. And so in Matthew chapter 15, as we've been marching through the, the Gospel of Matthew, we come to this section in verses 21 through 39, where Jesus crossed the ethnic, and he crossed the social and he crossed the religious barriers that were standard between Jews that separated Jews and Gentiles. And he revealed uh, that God cares about. He, he, he cares in this first century when he treated the quote-unquote dogs with grace and mercy and kindness. And so his unexpected receptivity towards those that were generally discounted, discredited, and dismissed in society, was a wake-up call to his followers that Jesus cares about all people and that his message is for all people. And it challenges the heart of every one of us who names the name of Jesus to have his heart for all people. I'm in Matthew chapter 15. I'm going to read through verses 21 through 39. And then we're going to look uh, at these uh, three miraculous examples of Jesus' miraculous activity that communicate his heart for all people, but also compel or challenge us to share his heart and to do something about it. So if you'll look with me at Matthew chapter 15, beginning with verse 21. And Jesus went away from there, and we're going to get to where there is in, in a moment, and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman came out from that region and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. <clears throat> Excuse me. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came to him and kept asking him, saying, Send her away, for she's shouting after us. But he answered and he said, I was, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But... She came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. 
And he answered and said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master, their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, your faith is great. Be it done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. And departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up to the mountain, he was sitting there, and great multitudes came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, dumb, and many others, and they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So that the multitude marveled as he saw the dumb speaking, the crippled restored, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. And Jesus called his disciples to him, and he said, I feel compassion for the multitude because they have remained with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not wish to send them away, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where, where would we get so many loaves in a desolate place to satisfy such a great multitude? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said seven and a few small fish. And he directed the multitude to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and the fish and giving thanks. He broke them and started giving them to the disciples and the disciples in turn to the multitudes. And they all ate and were satisfied and they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, seven large baskets full. And those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children and sending them away sending away the multitudes, he got into the boat and came to the region of Magadan. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. And here we see Jesus now crashing through the barriers. It's kind of an interesting story, if you will. It begins actually three stories, right? Three miraculous examples of his activity that communicates his heart for all people. Not just the Jewish people, but for all people. And the first way that we cultivate the, a similar heart from the text is through our celebration of the faith of all people. Verse 21, there were, he, he, was, uh, he was withdrawing. He went away from there. The text says that uh, Jesus went away from there. So the constant demands of the crowd, they were pressing in on. And the crowd's desire to make him the king. They wanted to establish him on the throne as the king right there and then. And then the growing tension between Jesus and the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, meant, you know, Jesus wanted to get away, you know. And besides the fact that the, the Jewish people were not really embracing fully who he was, so he, he, needed, he wanted to get away. And so we see Jesus withdrawing from a predominantly Jewish region. We left him last week in, around the Sea of Galilee in Gennesaret, which was a predominantly Jewish region, moving away from there to a predominantly Gentile region. I think we have a map of the, the region, and Tyre and Sidon are up on the Mediterranean Sea. You see them there in red? I think they're highlighted in red. They're up along the Mediterranean Sea. Well, that's a ways from the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus moved away from the Jewish region to this Gentile area, okay? And isn't it interesting that this region of Tyre and Sidon has a long history in the Bible of being a place where God has made his mark to, to show his interest in the Gentiles. Back in 1 Kings, it was Elijah who was met by the widow of Zarephath, which was in the region of Sidon. 
okay? Gentile woman. Met this Jewish man and served this Jewish man. We could go back to chapter 11 and we would see that Jesus was uh, denouncing uh, cities because they say, he said, if, if, if what happened in you happened in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in dust and ashes. And now Jesus continues this connection with this pagan Gentile region and his mission for the Gentiles. Okay, As Sean O'Donnell puts it in his commentary, he is showing the Great Commission before he commands it. Great Commission is in Matthew 28. So Jesus is showing the Great Commission before he commands it. And so this Canaanite woman, she has three strikes against her as far as interaction with Jesus. First of all, she's a pagan. Uh, pagan religions of the Canaanites. Second of all, there is this ethnic prejudice because of the long-standing hatred between the Jewish people and the Canaanite people. Interestingly enough, in the, in the parallel in Mark, it talks about her being a Syphrenician woman, which is kind of an elevated uh, stance, you know, like she's some sort of person of social status because she was a Syphrenician heritage, <laughs> whereas uh, Matthew just says, she's a Canaanite. And she was a woman, because the, if in their culture, you, as a man, you never talked to a woman in public who wasn't your wife. That was just not something you did. And particularly, there would be no contact between a Gentile woman and a Jewish teacher, a rabbi. So, one, two, three strikes, you're out. And here she was talking. It would have been something miraculous. So the Gentile woman, although in this case proves, if you remember, we talked about in Matthew chapter 11, what was Jesus' invitation? Verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. All. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. And you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Come to me. And she came. And she came. Well, it's not kind of uh, not unusual. He's in Canaanite territory. And guess what? A Canaanite showed up. Well, duh. So here she is. And she, see, she comes to him. But he wants to remind her. And she, he reminds us that salvation is first to and then from the Jews. Okay? It's first to and from the Jews. In John chapter 4. Verse 22, Jesus tells uh, the woman uh, at, at, the, at the well, look, salvation is from the Jews. You know, this is where it's coming from. So you, you're dependent upon us. But salvation was never intended to be only for the Jews. Paul reminds us of this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, he says, for it is the power of God unto salvation to... Get it? What's the next word? All or everyone who believes to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. That's us. It's everybody who's not of Jewish, not Jewish. And so here we have that remarkably Jesus highlights her great faith, the great faith of a Gentile pagan woman. He celebrates it. So what does he celebrate? What are the marks and the characteristics of this great faith that he celebrates? We're going to walk through the text and see a few of the things that he is enamored with. First of all, and it's, these aren't exactly words from the text, okay? So, but first of all, we see that she's broken. There's her brokenness. In, in verse 22, And behold, a Canaanite woman came out from the, that region and began to cry out, 
saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. The unconscionable torment that her daughter was suffering and her absolute unworthiness as a sinner led her to cry out in desperate need uh, to Jesus, drove her to Jesus, and she sought what? What does she cry out? What is she asking for? Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. And we've talked about it before. You'll get sick of me saying this, but what, what is mercy? It's not getting what we deserve. It's nothing we've earned. It's nothing we're owed. It's nothing we deserve. She didn't want to get what she, got, what she deserved, which would be nothing from God, judgment from God. She wanted the opposite. Mercy is what you get when you get a warning ticket, okay, instead of a speeding ticket. That's mercy. And all of us are in for mercy, right? We're all, I'm all for receiving mercy. We're just a little bit lax in wanting to extend mercy. Right? It's like, mercy for me, not for you so much. Okay? But here she comes, crying for mercy, not for what she deserved. She approached, and here she was approaching a Jewish teacher, which, that was taboo. You just didn't do that, but she did. She sought mercy. There she was. She wanted it. She turned from her reliance upon herself, her reliance upon any pagan religion, her reliance upon any other person, and she went to Jesus, whom she knew was the only source or solution for her problem. She trusted him for her own pardon and for the deliverance of her daughter from this demon. That's who she went to. He was the only hope. She, she had a need. It was a desperate need. She needed help, and Jesus was the only solution. She knew it. And so she went to him. You know, our folks are going to be going to Haiti again in, in the area of Pion. And in that region, I'm sure that now we're a little bit more familiar with a, a guy by the name of Jude, Augusma. And Jude has a, a ministry down there. And I'm sure that the people who know Jude in the area down there see him as a man who offers hope and help. They, they go to him. You know, he's the go-to guy in that region if you want help. Jesus was there. He was the go-to guy for the help and the hope that they would have. So she demonstrated brokenness. Then there was reverence. She, she addressed Jesus as, O Lord, Son of David. Now, mind you, folks, this is a pagan woman who has not grown up in the church, in the Jewish heritage, and she addresses Jesus as Lord, Son of David. She, her faith was in the right place, directed towards the right object. See, a lot of people have faith. They say, oh, I have faith in faith. You know, I have faith in whatever. But uh, I'm telling you what, folks. I can have all the faith I want to run the Iditarod dog sled raid race with chihuahuas. But I'm not using chihuahuas to run the Iditarod. Okay? I mean, it just is not going to happen. It's, it's, it's stupid. She knew where to go. And her faith was in Jesus. And notice her address to Jesus. She says, her grasp of his identity. She says, oh Lord, that's master. She understood his identity as the Lord, the master, and also his mission when she says, son of David. She treated him and knew him and designated him as Messiah. Son of David. I mean, that is a, a phrase that's used only for the king. Of the descendants of David, the descendant of David, who was the Messiah. She knew him as that. And 
I'm telling you what, she was light years ahead of a lot of the Jewish people in her understanding of his identity and his mission. Lord and Master and Messiah, Savior. And she believed him to be the anointed king of the Jews such that she approached him with absolute reverence and complete allegiance. Her faith was in Jesus. And she turned from her idols to serve the living God. Like Paul says to the Thessalonians, you turned away from idols to serve the true and living God. And that's where she was. She was serving him. She was resilient. <laughs> I love, you know, great, great faith doesn't give up. And uh, she didn't give up. I don't know if you get these on your, your cell phone. You get these uh, potential spam calls. You know, it's going to be potential spam calls. I keep getting them, you know. I, I block them, and then I get, uh, get another potential spam call. And then I block it and get another potential spam call. You know, it comes up on my, th- my screen. They just don't give up. Here's this woman. She didn't give up. You know, what a thing on Mother's Day. There's not a mom who wouldn't go to any length for their daughter or their son. She said, I'm going to storm the gates and I'm going to do what I can for for this person whom I love. And so she's resilient. And Jesus tested her faith, I'm telling you. And you read this story and you kind of go, whoa, Jesus is kind of like put offish, you know. He's kind of like, get back here. And so we see several ways. First of all, he was silent. She, she said, Lord, you know, have, have mercy on me and my daughter. She's demon, cruelly demon-possessed, verse 23. But he did not answer her a word. His silence was not indifference, I don't think. His silence was not indifference, but I think it was a test. Or it certainly was uh, kind of uh, intimidating, you know. Come up to Jesus and he doesn't say a word. That would, have been, that would have been tough. So she was, she was put off a little bit by that. But then she moved. Okay, so here, he's, he's not never. Then the disciples say, get her out of here, Lord. She's bothering us. They didn't say that. I mean, that's my paraphrase, okay. So get her away from us. She keeps crying out to us. And so what does Jesus do? He answers them. He didn't put her away. Notice that. That's important. He didn't send her away, but then he answers. It says in the text in verse 24, but he answered. Who's he answering? He's answering them, but she's listening. And I think he intended for her to listen and to hear. He says, "Uh, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And you're going, whoa, that's, that's that's pretty hard. Well, he wanted her to know his mission priority was on the people of Israel, but... It was a reminder to her that she was on the outside. She was on the outside. But she remained undeterred. Not going to stop there. And so we see in verse 25, but she came and began. She wasn't crying from the distance. Now, she was cowering in his presence. Not undeterred by all the, the obstacles that were standing in her way. No, she came and she fell before the Lord and she was crying out. And she said, now Jesus responded to her. Now he answers her in verse 26. And he said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She's thinking, whoa. He's just like, bam, 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 bam. You know. It's not good to take the, ch- the children. Who's the children? Children of Israel. God's people, Israel. And the dogs are anybody who's not them. The Gentiles. Okay. And so 
He was putting up, I like what MacArthur said, he says, he put up barriers not to keep her away, but to draw her in. In redemptive history, the Jews always come first. When he says, you know, only the Jews, no, he's, he's first the Jews, then the Gentiles. He's putting up these barriers not to turn her away, but to draw her closer. And you say, well, how can that be? Well, notice the word he used to describe her as a dog, okay? Now, yeah, that's not a very endearing term, okay? No matter what you say. So you talk about the prejudice and the preference and the, you know, the hardship between the Jews and the Gentiles. It was there. But this word that he used, there are different words in Greek for dog. And the word he used here was not your, your scummy wild dog out there, you know, that you would just really bet. It was a household pet. Oh, a little different way to say it. So he's calling her not one of these wild dogs, but a household pet. And in intentionally, I think, doing so, leaving open the door for her to come back with this rebuttal when she says, oh, hey, then can't we get the crumbs that fall from the master's tables if we're a household pet? We're in. So he's opening the door for her to be seen as someone who's in. Then you see her humility. Three times in this text, verse 22, verse 25, and 27, she addresses him as Lord, Master. We just sang songs about him being holy, holy, holy. Is he a holy God? Only a holy God. A holy God is our Lord. I always like interacting with uh, you know, young men and women who are in the military because whenever they encounter a civilian, how do they address civilians? At least until I'm, at least they, they have done up until this point. I'm not so sure that this will continue, but they typically would say to me, yes, sir. They would say to a, a woman, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. You'd ask them, uh, do you know where to go? Yes, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, no, sir. This Canaanite woman's like, oh, Lord, in her humility, she understands who Jesus is. In both her address to him, oh, Lord, and in her actions, she's on her knees, bowing, cowering before him. She's humble. So she is humble before him. And then finally, she's confident. Verse 27, she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's tables. She held Jesus lofty, but herself lowly, so that she was willing to settle for crumbs. Well, think about it. A lot of you have dogs. Uh, what kind of crumbs do your dogs get? You know? I mean, dogs in Iowa, here's the kind of crumbs, they get leftover T-bones. You know, oh, we got a pork chop, got a little, some leftover pork chop, or some ham, you know, we had, we had Easter, you know, and had a ham, and so here's a ham bone, and a bunch of ham. You think that's, that's like a buffet for a dog, okay? That's, that's way better than kibbles and bits. I mean, it's, it's good stuff. You understand that what, what, what she, what's going on here is that her statement about the, reminds the children those who are in the kingdom of God, it reminds the children of the blessing of what it is to be a child of God. It reminds the dogs of the bounty that's available, available to them with just the crumbs. I mean, the crumbs from Jesus' table are the bounty that anyone would, would want to have. It's a blessing. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. 
There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. This Calvary covers it all. For all people of all time, of all ethnicities, of all religious backgrounds, of all genders, Calvary covers it all. There it was, mercy. And then Jesus celebrated her faith. He says in verse 28, your faith is great. You had great faith. This great faith led, I believe, to her physical salvation and to her daughter's deliverance from the demon. It was her redemption. Her faith in Christ alone is heralded and praised just like the centurion's faith. Back in Matthew chapter 8, verse 10, another pagan whose faith was great and who received salvation as well as some physical demonstration of God's grace and mercy. Faith was praised. The faith that provides and only provides, the only faith that provides deliverance from sin. The basis for anyone to enter into the family. And stands in quite stark contrast to the lack of faith for the most of the Jewish people in that day. It was amazing. Her daughter's healing, her salvation, testimony to God's compassion on all people, on all nations. And that's where I stop and I say, okay, do I care as much as Jesus does? Do you care? as children of God. Do we care about all people everywhere that they would be redeemed? Do I care about all of my classmates? Do I care about all of my co-workers, my family members, those people who are of a different ethnicity than me, those people with whom my ethnic group has had long-standing hostility? Do I care about those who are of a different political persuasion than me? Do I care about those who are of a different rival town than me? Do I care about the unreached people in Yemen that have never heard the gospel of Jesus? Jesus does. It's going to all nations. Go therefore and make disciples where? Well, just kind of in your neighborhood. All nations. Yeah, includes your neighborhood, but, you know, kind of goes beyond there. So let's Jesus cares about them, different people. I heard a pastor at a conference once I was attending. He's a pastor of a large church in a big city. And he said that he intentionally took the cab so he could share the gospel with the cabbies, most of whom were Muslim. So he took the cab because he wanted to reach all people and give all people a chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, the promise to Abraham, in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed, is fulfilled in those who believe. And so each of us who believe have a responsibility to do what Jesus did and carry the message to all people because Jesus is indeed a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of my people Israel. And you can see that in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. His name shall be Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. 
And then in Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 49, he's a suffering servant of Isaiah, who in Luke chapter 2, verse 32, is declared to be, as his, at his dedication, the light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of my people Israel, who makes both groups, Jews and Gentiles, all one through his blood. And we see it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. And I think you can see it on the, on the text, on the screen. Therefore, remember that previously you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were all called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the people of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, <laughs> no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were previously far away have been brought near by the blood of of Christ. Christianity is the answer to all ethnic hatred. Because in Christ and through the blood of Christ, we are all one in Christ. And Jesus says this message is for everyone. It's for all. And all people who believe are welcomed into the family of God and every person who is in the family of God has this mission to give ourselves, to share the gospel with everyone else. So we see it in Jesus, <clears throat> first of all, his celebration of uh, the faith of those. Now we see it's, it's through our commitment to the health of all peoples. And departing from there, verse 29, from where? Tyre and Sidon. Okay, so we see another map. Okay, you see the same map? Yeah, so we went from Tyre and Sidon, okay, up on the Mediterranean Sea, down back to the Sea of Galilee. But you notice, uh, he's on, he doesn't show it here, but he's on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. He went to a region in Mark, which tells us the region of Decapolis, which was a Gentile region. So he went from the Gentiles in the north and the west, now down to the southeast of the Sea of Galilee. So he's no longer up around the region where the Jewish Jews are hanging out, but he's in a different area. He went from this predominantly uh, Gentile region up there to another predominantly Gentile region down by the Sea of Galilee. And there are more hints of his intention of expanding the mission of the kingdom to the whole world. And he's concerned in, these in this text. He's concerned about people's physical health. You see the multitudes. And we learn from verse 38, the multitudes. How many were in the multitudes? 4,000 men plus women and children. So, you know, roughly twelve to 15,000 people. Pretty good-sized crowd. Okay, and so they came to receive, and they expended this effort. They came because they were lame, they were suffering, they were blind, they were dumb. That means they couldn't speak, not like you think. They, they weren't slow, okay, mentally. They just couldn't speak. So they, they had these physical ailments, as well as the emotional trauma that came with those ailments. And they went for help. A lot of people, you, you, a lot of you have uh, been vaccinated, right, for COVID. Why? You went for help. You want to get, you know, immune. You want to get prevented so you don't get, get the nasty bug, okay? So you went, you got help. They, were, they didn't have COVID shots. You know, they'd have set up clinic, you know. There's a Jesus in town. Okay, let's go him. Uh, that's, that's the clinic. Uh, there wasn't a lot of sites, you know. Didn't have a lot of pharmacies offering Jesus stuff. So they had to go where Jesus was. And so Jesus was there. And here we see Jesus, the heart of Jesus, the hurting people. The helpless people, the hopeless people, Jesus went to them. It's not a liberal, conservative issue. It's a Jesus issue. 
And people are hurting. And when people are hurting, the, the, the Lord has compassion. Like every child of God should have in our DNA, compassion. And I pray that God would enlarge my compassion. He says, in, Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse, verse 12, And now, those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as Christ and God forgave you, so also should you. Compassion. And here we see Jesus meeting, meeting their needs. He says, and, and Jesus' commitment to their health was a platform to speak to them about their spiritual life. And the same is true for us. People don't really care what we know until they know we care. And so when we show that we care, then they're willing to listen to what we know. I have a friend that a few years ago, he has a neighbor, and uh, the neighbor was sick in the hospital and the neighbor as far as he knew didn't know the Lord but my friend took a risk and he that was back before COVID so you could actually visit people in the hospital that weren't relatives and so he went to the hospital to visit this neighbor and it was the neighbor was dumbfounded flabbergasted that he would come and care and he was able to talk to the man and show his compassion and share that he was there because of Christ and his love for Christ and that's what God wants us to be doing through our prayers, through our phone calls, through our notes, through our little kind words of encouragement, we can show that we care so people will care what we know when we share the gospel with them. And so Jesus models that for us, and he, he's, he's committed to their physical health, but ultimately he's committed to their spiritual health. He's not in it just for that uh, physical healing. No, look at verse 31. It says, so that the, the multitude marveled and as they saw the dumb speaking and the crippled restored and the lame walking and the blind seeing and they glorified the, the God of Israel. I mean, there's stunning evidence for the, the, the divinity and the supernatural work of God in what took place here. Notice how the multitude responded. What did they do? They marveled. Wow, this is amazing. Constant, continuous, instantaneous healing. Well, that would have set you on your heels. It was a miracle of miracles. And then we see the multitudes magnified. Now notice what the text says. Look at the text. Don't look at me. Look at what the text says. Last phrase in verse 31. They glorified who? who did, whom did they glorify? The God of Israel. That's not something the Jewish people are going to say. They're going to say the God of our father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're going to say Yahweh. They're going to say the Lord. But the pagan Gentiles who are enamored with the work of Almighty God are going to say, oh, this is the God of Israel who's working. And so there they are, giving credit. Unlike the Pharisees who attributed Jesus' work to whom? Back in Matthew chapter 12. Yeah, Satan. Here, these pagans... Or attributing the work of God to God. And saying, this is the God of Israel. We're enamored by it. And Jesus is showing his concern that all nations would be recipients of his grace and his mercy. And when they receive physical help from God's source, they give God praise. Just like the, 
Uh, people in Pion, if the hospital is run by Christians, that people know that they're working for God, they're going to give credit to God, or they should give credit to God, at least initially. And Jesus goes on, uh, you see in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, we'll look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, that he was going about in all their synagogues, and notice the text says two things he was doing. What was he doing? He was teaching and he was healing. Jesus never did healing just to do healing. The healing was also in concert with his teaching because Jesus was more concerned about their soul than he was their flesh. But their flesh was a means of getting them to consider what he could do for their soul. Jesus' healing ministry is never divorced from proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The need for repentance of our sins and our faith or our trust in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, his payment for our sins on the cross so that we can be forgiven and brought into the family of God. That's the gospel. And Jesus would proclaim it. And Jesus healed their, sin, uh, their, healed their sickness to prove that he could heal their sin. That's Matthew chapter 9, verse 6. Remember? He said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you. Oh, how can he do that? So that you might know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins. He says to him, take up your bed and walk. The proof that he could heal their soul was given by the fact that he healed their sickness and their disease. Because people's greatest need then and now is not physical healing. Because our physical healing will, our physical ailments will lead us to physical death, but our sinful hearts will lead us to an eternity apart from God. And so we preach Christ crucified so that people can come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's the message we have. And we you know, need to be involved, I think, tangibly physically in helping meet the needs of people so that we can be have a platform for sharing the gospel with these people. I'm not talking about social gospel. I'm talking about you help people because you have compassion because they're hurting so that you can share the gospel and it's gospel-driven social ministry, okay, for the sake of sharing the gospel. Finally, we see that our, our heart for the lost can be cultivated through our concern for the strength of all people. Here we come to another story of Jesus providing food. And the first story in Matthew chapter 14, which isn't too far away, right? It's Matthew 14 and Matthew 15. You're like, oh, well, what do we got here? Uh, the, maybe Matthew was a little bored, so he just kind of rewrote another story because he could read this one and enlarge his... He wasn't doing an assignment for a professor so that he could get a, a, a bigger paper and repeat the same story twice. Jesus showed concern for the needs of all people in, in a couple of additional ways we see in the story of the feeding of the 4,000. First of all, his pity, verse 32. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the multitudes. Now, there's a big difference here. Because back in chapter 14, who was it that was concerned about the multitudes? You remember? It was the disciples. <laughs> but the disciples, they didn't say anything this time. I find it kind of curious, you know. 
And, and it was three days. If, you read, if we read the rest of the text, it was three days. <laughs> they went three days. And Jesus said, well, three. But before it was the disciples. It was just that afternoon. And by evening, the disciples said, hey, Jesus, we've got some hungry people here. We don't want them to go away hungry. What do we should do? But now it's like they're not saying anything. Because you know what happened last time. They spoke up and Jesus says, okay, you do it. <laughs> oh, we're not going there again. That's my guess. I'm not, I can't say prove that. But I'm thinking, they're thinking, I'm not walking down that plank again. I'm not asking, Jesus is not going to ask me what to do. But Jesus turns the tables on them and it, it's his compassion. And compassion is this. It's a visceral, it's a deep visceral sympathy and sorrow for the plight of another person that moves us to deeply impacts us to want to change the situation for them, okay? A deep desire to alleviate the symptom or the hurt in their life. I remember my friend Ken and Conwell telling me they, they were in a third world country and they walked into a prison. In this big room, there were men and women and children all in the same room in the prison. It was a nightmare. 12, 13-year-old boys and girls in with, you know, adult men, adult women. No food. Horrid living conditions. And they came out. They said, we've got to do something. What can we do? We've got to do something. And so it moved them to compassion and they took action and separated the kids from the adults and provided, started providing meals for the kids once a day because if you're in prison in this place, the only time you really eat is if your family brings you food. Moved with compassion. And Jesus was moved with compassion. And that's what I said earlier. Uh, you know, compassion is part of our DNA. And I, I quoted Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. That's what we're supposed to do. So as people of compassion, what are we doing? You know, that's why we collect food for the food pantry. That's why we would be moved to help build, drill wells in, in, in places like Haiti. That's why we are interested in helping support orphans in their need. These are the kinds of things. That's why we have missionaries on the field and foreign fields, and that's why we take up a collection so we can support those missionaries who are helping provide for the needs of these people. You talk about Lucas and Lois over in Liberia. There's people there that need medical care, people that need food and clothing and shelter, people, little kids that need education. That's why we give money to these things, and that's one of the things that we can do that God calls us to. God calls us to be compassionate. And then you look at verse 33, and the disciples said to him, well, where, where are we going to get uh, so many loaves in a desolate place like this to satisfy such a multitude? And Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't just show his concern. He actually meets the need. We see his powerful provision. He miraculously multiplied the meager resources and he fed the Gentile multitude in the same way that he had fed the Jewish multitude back in Matthew chapter 14. No distinction. No discrimination. He fed both. Fed both. And what did the disciples learn there? What do we disciples learn? God's heart for people. He cares. God's power to meet their needs. He's able. And the joy of participating with him in the process. We are privileged to join with Jesus in the process. You think the disciples didn't come away from there going, wow, this is pretty cool. This is the second time happened. It's not just the Jews, the Gentiles. This is really cool stuff. 
We get a chance to participate in that. That's the thing that we, we, we enjoy. And there are two markers indicating the magnitude of the miracle. First of all, they were satisfied. So they all ate and, and they, were, they were satisfied. Verse 35, and he directed the multitude to sit down, took loaves of bread. Verse 37, and they all ate and they were satisfied. Uh, now, some of you are going to leave here and you're going to go take mom out, out to eat, right? And you're probably going to eat more than you need. Uh, you're going to be satisfied, right? You're going to be full, really full. And they were so full, they had seven baskets left over of full, you know? And God is able to satisfy the need. 5,000 fed, how many baskets left over? 12. How many tribes in Israel? 12. 4,000 fed, how many baskets? Seven. There's interesting statistical, numerical stuff that goes along with this. But this was a Gentile miracle. The same God who is willing to provide all that's satisfied. Picturing as Jesus was there on the mountain, the, 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 the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is coming in Revelation. He reenacts the same thing with the Gentiles, saying that God's satisfaction of the Jewish people is the same satisfaction that God through Jesus provides for all peoples. In Christ. You are complete, not lacking anything, not, not, not suffering. God's mercy and salvation in Christ extends to every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people in the world. And he fed 15,000 people. This was a miracle. And there's two things that I think, that, at least two, that we can come away with. It. We say, first of all, does my heart reflect Jesus' heart for all people? His passion to alleviate their suffering. His concern for their lost souls. And am I doing anything about it? Personally, with my neighbors, with people overseas, wherever, you know, what am I doing? And secondly, our faith should rest in God. You know, disciples, how many loaves? Seven? You got, you got, you got a few? A few. It didn't say in numbers. They just had a few loaves and a few fish. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to his power which works mightily within us. He's able to raise up enough money to send a team to Haiti regardless of how many people go. He's able to raise up enough money to support our missionaries regardless of how many people there are. He's able to do far greater than what we would ever ask or think but we have to trust him and not ourselves. See the good news is God is able. Maybe for some of us the bad news is he wants to tap our pocketbook. But see, if he does, we join with the disciples in dispersing the bread, and guess what? We get a blessing. And we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and thieves do not break through and steal. And that's the challenge for us as, as the church of Christ. For nothing is impossible with God. God is able to give us the power and the courage to share the gospel with our family, with our friends, with our neighbors, and with our political opponents, or whoever they may be. Don't mistake, and that's a little proviso here, don't mistake God's power to do the impossible with a promise that he always will. Okay? So just because God is able to heal all these diseases and cure all these uh, problems and do all this, doesn't mean that he's obligated to do it for every person in every circumstance in every situation. 
So if you're here and you're listening either in person or online and, and you, you're like, I don't really know about this Jesus stuff. You know, you talk about we have to put our faith or our trust in Jesus and all this stuff. What I'd submit to you is if you're interested, if you're really interested as many people are today, and say, at least they say they are, in putting an end to ethnic hatred and discrimination, then this is the only answer right here is the person and the work of Jesus. Because without discrimination, Jesus makes it available for all people of all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all peoples to come into a relationship with God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. God makes that possible. And Jesus proves He's not a discriminator. And when people come to faith in Jesus Christ from all those peoples and tongues and tribes and nations, guess what? Christians, we are brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ with one blood, the blood of Christ that unifies us. It's the only way. It's the only way to bring reconciliation between people who are hostile. See Jesus and the Gentiles, a Gentile woman talking to a Jewish rabbi, and Jesus says, okay, yeah, your faith is great. Welcome in. This is the beautiful picture of what God provides for us. And then for us for believers, uh, this is a challenge for me, for us. Do I share the heart of my Savior for lost people everywhere? I just got an app on my phone. It's called the Unreached People app from Joshua Project. You know, so every day you can tap the app and it'll show you a, an unreached people group. Where, I mean, the ones I've been praying for recently is like 0.0% evangelical. Like, no Christians. Or maybe it's such a small percentage, there might be a handful of Christians on a million people so that it doesn't even register as a percentage. These people need Jesus. I can pray for these people. You can give offering to our missionaries who are out there trying to reach people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation through our quarterly missions offerings. Yeah, we can do that. We can be praying for people. We can reach out to our neighbors. You know what? God's brought the world to us. You know? And we're all around the world. Praise God. I love it. So let's be a part of what God wants to do so that they will join the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the only way they're going to do that is if they're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And the only way they're going to know be clothed in the righteousness of Christ is if we share the gospel with them and they turn from their sin and trust in Jesus. And we have the privilege of sharing the gospel with them. And then we only, those who are there, and as then becomes our purpose. I like what David Platt says, is to give our lives to the accomplishment of God's mission until we die or Jesus comes back. If we're saved, that's what God calls us to, to give our lives to the accomplishment of his mission, which is to reach all people and bring God glory through it. That's what God calls us to do. I'll close with this quote by John Henry Jowett. He says, Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. So we want to sit on our hands and do nothing. Guess what? We get nothing. Nothing happens. But here's the deal, folks. We close our service by breaking of bread. And the breaking of bread reminds us of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus so that all who believe can be part of his family. So that all who believe can be part of his family and sit at the, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is talked about by John in Revelation chapter 19, where every people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation and those of us who are here, then we can be happy that we have been brought into the family and we can be humbled by the sacrifice of Christ, and we can be wholehearted in our commitment to the mission. Let's pray. Father, 
I just pray that as we take some time to reflect, as we take the bread and the cup, that you would uh, remind us of the sacrifice of Christ and that you'd give us boldness to be a part. Help us to rejoice and be happy in being part of the family if we're your children. Help us to be humbled by the fact that you sacrificed so much for us. And I pray that you would give us a heart that would be all in for spending our lives so that others might become part of your family and bring you glory for your name we pray. And it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. my sorrow and dead my sin Lost without hope and no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested was redeemed only believe in me my orphan heart